Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. I think I get to be the one that says, come back together, find your seat, and maybe you need to meet a new friend and you can sit by them. I hate breaking that up because it's so good when you guys are talking like that. That could go probably all morning if we let it. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Michael Bischoff. I used to come to Branches. I don't know what this is, but it's new, something new environment. I haven't been here yet with you guys. It's been about six months, I think, since I've been with you guys. I want to thank Boog for filling in for me for the last six months since I've been here. Um, I get to come here frequently, when, especially when he's not around here. So I love being part of your Branches family in a little bit of a disconnected way and to be able to intersect and see what God's doing in your midst. So just good to see so many of you that um, I get to know my wife and I, I get to know some of you. And I run into many of you at some of the oddest places. It's really fun to be able to run into you all over the places God would bring us together. But I'm excited about this series you're doing in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, The Sermon on the Mount is probably the most exciting, the most intelligent, the most profound talk ever given by someone in human history, in this case by Jesus. And in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we find these amazing words that whether or not they were one sermon or a bunch of compilations of teachings that came together isn't as significant as what they say. And I'm absolutely amazed every time I go back, and I've been studying them for years, and they continue to impact and change my life, because they're about a different way of living. It's not just, the worst thing you can think is if you're someone that's trying to follow Jesus or trying to figure out, is the Bible something that's significant for you, is to look at it and go, hmm, is that good or is that not good? Is that right or not right? Do I agree with it or I don't agree with it? These teachings are so profound, they just kind of take the wind out of you. And then you realize, okay, I think I'm starting to scratch the surface of what Jesus was trying to say. Like there's a different kind of righteousness, not the kind of righteousness you see sometimes when you turn on the TV and they talk about Christians or right-wing fundamentalism or whatever kind of description the media might use to talk about it, but there's a different kind of internal deep righteousness that you just go away going, that's the goodness that I think God intended to have in this world. Do you know what I mean by that? A different kind of goodness, a rightness. There's even this word that gets used over and over in Matthew 5, and maybe books covered some of this, but where Jesus presents these, these six different ways of being, that there was like the old, and Jesus brings the new, and he uses this word, dikaiosune, this weird Greek word that has to do with that kind of righteousness that's just this goodness that you just know when you see it. And that's so awesome because you can't find that easily. And that's one of the things that makes Jesus' teaching so compelling. So we're hopping in here today in Matthew chapter 6. 
So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, um, you, or a device you want to click over to, that's the place that we're hanging out. And in Matthew 6, there are these three things that Jesus talks about. He talks about giving, he talks about praying, and he talks about fasting. And if you need a Bible, you can like raise your hand. Some of the guys here are going to pass out the Bible to you if you want to follow along, because it is good to see a bit of the context. So Matthew 6, there's a bit about giving, there's a bit about praying, and there's a bit about fasting. And these are aspects of what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus. If you were to apprentice to someone because you knew they knew how to do something better than you know how to do, what would it look like to apprentice and learn how to do those things? That's exactly what's happening here. It's almost like, well, some of his disciples come and they say to him this right here. They say, and as I click over to the first slide, we'll see if we can get some of this work in here. There we go. This is a different chapter in Luke 11, but here's the context of what was happening here. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now, how cool is that? His disciples, these followers, which were like a bunch of teenage guys at the time, looking at this master rabbi, and they saw something in the way that he prayed, and they just said, Jesus, can you teach us how to do that like you do that? And he proceeds and he does. Can we just pray and ask Jesus to do the same for us here this morning? Let's pray. Lord, I, I just ask that you would teach us to pray. Prayer is hard. Prayer is strange. Prayer is uh, sometimes disappointing. And I pray that maybe as we leave today, you would give us maybe one thing to hold on to that would make us excited about what it means to pray as we look at Jesus' example. Amen. Prayer is really a really simple thing. Prayer is asking God about what the two of you are doing together. It's just asking God what me and him are going to do together. Isn't that an interesting way to think about it? It's also different than worrying. Worrying is like sometimes prayer without asking God to do something for you. And any of you worry a lot? If you think about the amount you worry, you could turn that around and go, wow, what if I took those prayers and realized there's an ask underneath the surface of every one of those worries, and that ask can be something that I give over to God and we end up doing together. Does that make sense? That's a totally different way to think about prayer. And I kind of laugh when Boog asked me to teach on this subject because he's like, I saved prayer for you. Like, Michael, you've got this broadband connection to God. You know, wherever anything's going, you, you must know exactly how to pray. And I just chuckled at that because I don't. We are all pilgrims on this journey together trying to figure out how the heck do you talk to a God that you haven't seen visibly, physically? What do you do with that? So I don't have any great broadband connection to God. Maybe I've learned a few things about prayer, and I'm going to share those very few things with you this morning of what I have tried to learn. But I love this prayer that the disciples asked about. This little cartoon, sometimes I'd like to ask God why he allows poverty, famine, and injustice when he could do something about it. What's stopping you? I'm afraid God might ask me the same question. Could it be that sometimes we don't pray because we're a little bit nervous of what God might ask us to do? We might have to get involved. You ever feel that way? It's a big responsibility in that. What if God says, yeah, you're the answer to the prayer, and it might cause us to hesitate or to hang back 
from, from some of that. Here's how not to pray. And there's a few extra verses in that chapter. So if you look at Matthew 6 that we talked about, there's even a few more verses beyond this. But several how not to pray kinds of lessons. Here's one of them in verse 7. And when you pray, Jesus says, and he notice he doesn't say if you pray. He does say when you pray. There's sort of this conscious realization that everybody prays. Even if you don't admit it, even if you don't believe in God, everybody prays in some way. So he just assumes that and says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Have you ever been at a meal and somebody gets asked to pray and they start praying and you're like, one minute in, three minutes in, you're looking at your food, it's getting cold. Now the missionaries in Africa are all getting prayed for. And you're just going, can you just please finish? What is that like? Um, or I had this realization that sometimes there can be just way too many words in prayer. And while prayer is definitely the utilization of words, there's this sense that maybe it can go too long, just too, too long. Here's maybe an example that can help you relate to this a little bit better. Help and pray, we've hired that super pastor guy you see on TV. God. Please help my marriage. We're just really struggling right now. Oh, Heavenly Father, He who has created all things makes the sun and moon rise at His command. I beseech you, take this woman that you've given to me as a helpmate and bring her to her senses that we might abide together forever in a purpose-driven marriage. God, I'm really frustrated at work. Help me find a new job. I ask you now, in this area of employment, thee who gives me the sustenance in an employer fashion, please guide me to something, if it be your will, that would bring you glory. My kids are driving me crazy, and I, I don't know what to do. You just help me out. You have blessed me also with many young saplings, and I ask at this day that you would help me and my helpmate to raise them in the way of your word. Amen, God. And now I end this time with you, Lord, bowing before you, giving you all that you deserve in sacrifice and in sacrament. Let it be known that the Alpha Omega is pleased. Amen. God go. Real people, real prayers. Can you relate just a little bit, right? Yeah, give it up for, I don't know who to give it up for. Pastor Tim, there you go. Don't you wish Boog would pray like that every Sunday? A new way to pray. Fourth and fifth century, there were some people called the Desert Fathers that moved out into the Egyptian deserts, and they really simplified life. Kind of gets that way when you move into the desert with not much to bring along with you. One of them, John Climacus, he said this about this subject. When you pray, do not try to express yourself in fancy words, for often it is the simple, repetitious phrases of a little child that our Father in heaven finds most irresistible. You want to learn how to pray? Listen to the prayers of a child. Those of you with kids know what we're talking about here. Do not strive for verbosity lest your mind be distracted from devotion by a search for words. One phrase on the lips of the tax collector was enough to win God's mercy. One humble request made with faith was enough to save the good thief. Is that good?
Some of you might worry, like, man, when I pray, I just don't know what words to say, and I might not have the right ones. You know what? That's okay. Maybe just one word is enough. And even if you don't have that word, God knows what you're feeling. God knows what you're thinking, and that's enough. It can be very, very simple. It is not meant to be complicated. And that's good news, right? So that's a lesson we can take away from this about prayer and to understand. And one of the things that gets in our way is I think we often feel like we're talking to all the people that are around us. When I was in junior high, I went to a Christian school for the very first time, and I wasn't a Christian. I showed up, and I'd never been to a Christian school, and my mom sent me to this school, and I didn't know what to do, and one of the first weeks in class, the teacher asked me, Michael, will you open the class in prayer? And I'm like, okay, I knew prayer was supposed to start with dear God, I knew it was supposed to end with amen, but I wasn't exactly sure what to put in the middle. And as I said, okay, so I said, dear God, and I felt my face getting really hot, and I think I prayed for the teacher, like, that's a good start, like, you know, bless the teacher, and maybe you'll get, like, a good grade, and I have no idea what else I prayed for after then, but the conscious realization was that I wasn't praying to God at that moment, I was praying to everybody else in the room. Now, I was just 12 years old at the time, but there was this realization that everybody else is listening to what I say, so I better play, say something significant. If you're finding that's a problem in your prayer, you got to get over that. You really have to get over that and understand that we pray to an audience of one. We pray to an audience of one. God is there, and he is listening, and nobody else is really that significant when it comes to being able to listen to what's going on in our prayers. And we just need to get over the fact that other people might be listening in if we happen to be praying out loud or whatever the case would be. Some of us maybe see prayer a little bit more like this. You know, it's that vending machine, right? Where you take a coin and you put it in that vending machine. And this reminds me of, you know, from Toy Story. The claw chooses who will go and who will stay. And it's a little bit like that. It's difficult. You put the coin in, you get control of that little arm for a while, and you might be able to grab something, but you know what's going to happen as soon as you grab it. It's just going to fall. It's just going to drop out. And that's how they make money, because you grab it and it falls, you grab it and it falls, and it feels like, I, I might throw up some words, but it's never really going to be that significant. It's really not going to work for me. And I get discouraged, because prayer seems like the claw where I can put a coin in, and I'm searching, and I'm reaching for something, but it's just really difficult, just really difficult to be able to, to think about doing that. So, how not to pray? Not with a bunch of words. And then Jesus turns a corner, and he's like, this then is how you should pray. And he gives us this pattern, or this model, of how to pray. Now, this is a cool thing, because... It's just a pattern or a model. This isn't necessarily meant to be something that's said as a magic formula over and over. In fact, it's not a magic formula. Though many of you know the Lord's Prayer, right? If we were to recite it together, many of us would be able to say it because you learned it somewhere in church early on or you've heard people say it a lot of different times. And this passage of Scripture is what's known as the Lord's Prayer. Some call it the Disciples' Prayer because as we're trying to figure out how to follow Jesus, this is the kind of pattern that we should be able to follow a pattern or a model to help us know what to say. And I'm just going to go phrase by phrase through this and try to give a little bit of insight for each of these phrases, okay? So here's how we're going to go. If we can get this clicker working here. We go to the next slide. Thanks. Starts off, our Father. Our Father. Now, all of a sudden, many of us run into a barrier with that. Our Father. 
Many have said that this is like saying, dear heavenly version of our earthly father. And what that does is even the word father for some of us doesn't feel really good. There's some distractions there. There's some walls there. There's some baggage there. There's some hurt there. I never knew my father. I was raised by my mom. So for me, we get to our father, and all of a sudden there's this big void. I say that, and I have no understanding of what God as a father could be like. It's tough for me. Others of you had a dad, but maybe it wasn't the best dad in the world. Maybe he drank, or maybe he was abusive, or maybe he didn't love you very much, or said harsh words to you, or held a bar really high. And we struggle when you say our father. And then there's probably the smaller minority of us that had a really good dad, or not a perfect dad, but someone that when we say father has a good feeling. So all of a sudden, there's like an issue there. But what this does is it personalizes the prayer. You realize that God is someone that cares, that God's not an impersonal force off in the darkness somewhere, but that God is someone who cares in the best sense of what an earthly father could be like. Does that make sense? And can you get there? All of us are sort of challenged to get there, to understand that if you could imagine the most loving dad possible, the dad you always wanted, and what that would be like to be embraced by that kind of father with provision and care and affirmation and training and everything that a good dad's supposed to be, that's the sense that Jesus is saying here because he knew his heavenly father was just like that. We've got to get to the place where we're good with that and be able to say, our Father, knowing that many of us have so much baggage that gets in the way. And maybe if we have some of that baggage, that might be the very thing God wants us to be praying about and to be able to get over and to be able to think through. Who art in heaven is the second phrase. Our Father, who art in heaven. Now, this is a little bit difficult for us because this is not good language here. When we think that, it feels more like God who's far away. Because when we think of heaven, heaven doesn't seem real close, right? It feels like it's up there. And this comes out of this like teaching or kind of three-tiered understanding of the universe that there was up there, and then there was like here on earth, and then there's like down here, the other place where you don't want to be. Okay, this three-tiered understanding. And this language comes out of that, and Jesus speaks into that, sort of a Greek understanding of the way the universe is made up. But the language doesn't even lend itself to this. In fact, if you were to look in the original language, you'd realize that the word heaven is plural. So literally, it's who art in the heavens. And then you realize that the heavens are not just up there, the heavens are also down here. And that God is at work down here all around us. In fact, a better way to translate this would be to say, our Father always near us. You're always here. You're as close as my left hand, as my right hand. You're here with me, sitting right next to you, like right now. Our Father, you're here right with me. Do you need that kind of comfort sometimes to know like God is right with you? That phrase helps you know that, even though it doesn't look like it does because it seems like God's far away. Literally, the translation is the exact opposite. Our Father who's always near us. Isn't that good? God's always near you. So think about that as a pattern of when you pray. We do the next slide. Hallowed be your name. Now, this is another weird word. because It's like hallowed. The only thing I know that's hallowed is like, Halloween, and that's full of a bunch of demons and witches and goblins and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of a weird word. But the word comes from that same place of being sanctified or holy or set apart. God's name is amazing. 
God's name is to be hallowed. God's name is to be respected because God has such incredible power and incredible love and incredible grace that he wants to make available to you in, under, in helping you understand how he wants to be with you in life. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. He goes on, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Now, that's, again, another word that we don't use a lot around here, okay? We don't live in a place with kings and kingdoms and knights and serfs and castles and all that, so it seems a bit foreign, but it's such a good word. Your kingdom come. And what that's saying is there are kingdoms that are going on. There are kingdoms all over the place, okay? And you know what the most powerful kingdom is? Your kingdom, the one that you're in charge of. We all have kingdoms. The most powerful kingdom is the one that you control, Okay? And you know what that is? That's the stuff that's just your, your stuff. Okay? If I were to come ask and say, hey, like, give me your wallet. Give me your cell phone. You'd flinch a little bit because you don't know me that well and you wouldn't trust me that well. And if you were to say, I'm not sure I want to hand you my wallet or hand you something like my cell phone, what are you going to do with it? That's your kingdom. It's all part of that. And your kingdom is always in competition with God's kingdom and what God wants to do. God is doing amazing things. And this goes back to that sense of what's up there is meant to be down here. The kingdom of God is active and working and alive like all around us. And that's a good thing to understand because now God doesn't seem distant. And all the things I'm trying to do to bring my kingdom into a working reality every single day is actually doable. But you've got to understand God's kingdom is alive and it's here and it's working and it's around me every single day. And one of the greatest joys is to look and see if I can find God's kingdom in my neighborhood, on my school campus, in my workplace, in my friendships, at the coffee shop, at the beach, wherever you find yourself, God's kingdom is there. You might or might not see it, though, based on how involved you are and, and distracted you are by your own kingdoms. Does that make sense? These kingdoms are going on. And you're saying, God, I want your kingdom to come. Because your kingdom is full of that goodness that Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount here. And it's so good to be able to understand. A little better definition he actually describes right here is, so what is your kingdom come? It's your will being done on earth here as it is in heaven. So what is God's kingdom and how is it most manifest? Wherever God's will is being done. Wherever God's will is happening, and that's so good, when God is active and God is reigning and God is ruling because God brings his goodness and his will is being done, and that's what Jesus says God's kingdom actually is. What do we usually think is the worst possible answer to our prayers? Not a trick question. What do you feel like is the worst answer? If you're going to pray, what don't you want to hear? No. No. We think of that as probably the worst answer to our prayers, right? I, I came across this a while ago, and it was so helpful for me to be able to think through. It's called the blessing and no. Someone actually wrote this prayer out or said it this way. I asked God to take away my pride. God said no. It is not for me to take away, but for you to give it up. I asked God to make my handicapped child whole. God said no. Her spirit was whole. Her body was only temporary. I asked God to grant me patience. God said no. Patience is a byproduct of tribulations. It isn't granted. It is earned. Go to the next slide. 
I asked God to give me happiness. God said, no, I give you blessings. Happiness is up to you. I asked God to spare me pain. God said, no, suffering draws you apart from worldly cares and brings you closer to me. I asked God to make my spirit grow. God said, no, you must grow on your own, but I will prune you to make you fruitful. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. God said, no, I will give you life so that you may enjoy all things. I asked God to help me love others as much as he loves me. God said, ah, finally you have the idea. That makes sense? So places that we live. The places that we live. Goes on now, and we get real practical with a few needs. Give us this day, our daily bread. This is so good because some of us want to just pray for everything in the future and make sure we're entirely secure, but we are... We work with a God that is with us every single day. And God doesn't want us to get ahead of ourselves. He wants us to realize that he's going to be there tomorrow. So to ask for something tomorrow would distract us from today. And that's why we pray for what is here today, our daily bread. And today, it's just enough. The Israelites wandering in the wilderness had this stuff called manna that fell from the sky, and it was only good for a day. So tomorrow, you'd have to depend on God again. And some of us don't like that. I don't like that. You know, I want to have a big bank account that'll last for a long time. I want to have a job with financial security that I don't have to worry about. I want to have kids that I know aren't going to get sick or get taken out by some disease. And God's like, you know what? Trust me today for that. Trust me today. And then trust me tomorrow because tomorrow's going to come. And then the next day, I'll be there for you too. God's got this way of wanting us to rely on him every single day, not just to kind of store it all up and then to make sure everything's okay. That's what this is saying. That's what this is saying. And I think it's really good. Oops. Back one. Can we go back one slide? Thank you. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is a weird one. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is when we get to the place where we don't want someone to suffer anymore for the thing we want them to suffer about. That's forgiveness. It's letting go. It's literally getting to the place where you can have pity both on yourself and on someone else. Not just mercy, because mercy is kind of like asking God, hey, can you just give me a break? Or even someone else, yeah, just give them a break. That's mercy. Pity gets to the extent where you realize the brokenness and fallenness of us as humans requires us to say, can God, you just forgive me? I need your pity, because I know what kind of brokenness is in here. And I want to have that same kind of forgiveness for other people. Can you help me forgive them as well? I need to have pity on them to do that. It's hard to forgive people for the harsh things they do to us. But can you get to the place where you realize you have enough compassion that there's this level of brokenness going on that you can have some pity for them? Are you tracking with me with that? It's a weird word to think about because we don't use the word pity very much. But that's kind of what this phrase is getting to. What does it mean to have pity for someone else in that way? And last slide. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because we know, we know that we're tempted. And it's so easy to fall into the trap, isn't it? And, well, we've got to believe that God's the kind of God that's never going to mean evil for us. 
I don't think many of us believe that. We kind of believe that God's just going to allow something really bad to happen to us. And that's not the case. God wants goodness to happen for us. When evil does happen, we live in the reality of an evil system all around us, and we're fallen creatures in the midst of that evil system, and you rub those two things together, and there's a lot of chances for some bad things to happen. But it doesn't mean that's because what God wants. And when you can put yourself in a place where you can pray, God, please, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil that's all around us, because if you don't, I know I'm so weak, I will most likely fall into it. That's how this prayer ends. And some translations add, add, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then we have this pattern of how to pray. So many good things about how to pray differently, how not to just treat God like a bending machine. Now, prayer is fundamentally asking. At its basic level, it's asking. So there's nothing wrong to ask God for something. But when you ask with this kind of attitude, with this kind of perspective, can you see how it's good? It's a different kind of goodness. It's a different depth of understanding of what it means to pray to the God of the universe and to partner together on what we're working on together, what God wants us to be spending time on together. And that's what this is talking about. Next slide. Here's a contemporary version of taking all that we just talked about and putting it into one. It's from Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard wrote a great commentary on the Sermon on the Mount called The Divine Conspiracy. And here's what he says and how he says it. And rather than pray the typical Lord's Prayer that for us would be kind of typical words, can we just do this one together out loud and pray it together on the screen? But as we do, let's read it slowly and think about the way it's said differently. Okay? Because it's with this interpretation that I just gave you right now to understand this prayer at a deeper level. Let's pray it. Dear Father, always near us, may your name be treasured and loved. May your rule be completed in us. May your will be done here on earth in just the way it is done in heaven. Give us today the things we need for today. And forgive our sins and annoyances on you as we are all forgiving all who in any way offend us. Please don't put us through trials, but deliver us from everything bad because you are the one in charge and you have all the power and the glory too is all yours forever, which is just the way you want it. And you get to the end, and don't you just want to say, yes? Dallas Willard used to say, maybe then amen, the best translation would be, yippee. So exciting. I can live in that. Such a good prayer. Such a good reality. As Jesus is there teaching some followers, what does it mean to pray? And what does it mean to have a pattern like that? Some of you might be feeling like, I, I just struggle because I'm not a very spiritual person. Or maybe I want to be a spiritual person, but I'm really spiritually dry. C.S. Lewis in his book, Letters to Malcolm, Chiefly on Prayer, just one little quote, so good. He says, maybe the prayers that matter most to God are the ones we offer when we're spiritually dry. You get that? The best ones might be when you feel the most distant from God, the least connected with God, and you just offer that that word like we talked about earlier. Not the big babbling long phrases of all these important theological words, but when you just say, God, 
help? God, I, I need you. God, I don't understand. God, please, might be the best ones. And God's not judging that place where you are, even though you may feel completely dry, completely burnt out, completely disconnected in any way. A couple suggestions for those of you that are looking for ways to, to pray differently or to enhance your prayer life or to understand these kind of concepts more deeply. One, there's one that... Oh, it's so good. In terms of a spiritual practice, and many of you know this, I'm sure, but to find time in your life to spend time in solitude and silence. Now, that doesn't mean go get alone to be lonely. It's not what we're saying. Go, go get lonely somewhere. Um, you get away from people. In fact, Jesus spent more of his time trying to get away from people than he did trying to find them. And somehow they always found him, right? But this is so good because it takes intentional time to get alone, which is solitude, intentionally to be alone with God, and in silence, which is tough in our world to get in silence. That's why you try to get as far away. And whether you do it at the beach, awesome. Mountains, awesome. Desert, awesome. Find a place somewhere, though. Might be just in your car on a long drive with no radio on and no headphones in, where you just get alone to be in solitude and silence. That place will teach you this kind of prayer. The second one is find a spiritual director. And we've talked about this here before, but a spiritual director is basically someone who helps you learn how to see how God's already at work in your life. It's someone who helps you learn to pray. It's someone who helps you know what to bring to prayer. And that relationship you have with that person is actually a form of prayer. It's someone that helps you with this area. My wife Darlene's a spiritual director. Some of you know that. And if that sounds interesting to you or you want to find out more about spiritual direction, feel free to talk with her afterwards. You've got a pair in the front. She loves talking to people about spiritual direction because it's really helping people pray in ways that matter. A third way is to use a tool to help you be creative. Some of us need tools. And there's so many tools that are available. I just listed a couple. Any of you use any tools on your smartphone? to do this kind of thing for some spiritual practices. Just kind of show hands, a couple of you. If you're not familiar with them, there's a couple of them up here that many people like. There's a bunch of them out there. Pray As You Go is one. Sacred Space is another one. And if you just check out those apps, they can come right on your phone, and they have daily prayers that you can pray, that you can listen to. There's other resources that are there. All kinds of resources on those apps. And those can be really helpful for you. And then there's one last one. Live in the presence of Jesus every day. Let me say that one more time so you don't miss it. Every day, live in the presence of Jesus. You get a chance to do that. Because Sunday could be the day when you're like, hey, that's my Jesus day, that's my God day. That's where I go and hang out with a bunch of church people that talk about these things and that's okay. But that doesn't help you a whole lot when your life is what God wants to walk with you every single day. So go to the place where you can go, you know what, morning I get up, you might just start by saying as soon as you're getting out of bed, God, I'm gonna live today with you. Jesus, I want to see you every day. Jesus, you're sitting right here beside me. Can you do that? It's a simple thing to start your day with realizing you're living, you're living in the presence of Jesus. Brendan Manning tells a story of an old man who was dying of cancer. And his daughter, the old man's daughter, had called the local pastor at the church to come over and pray with her father because she didn't know how much longer that he had. So the pastor came over, knocked on the door, walked into the room where the old man was lying in bed, propped up on a couple pillows, and he noticed there was a chair sitting next to the bed where the old man was. And the pastor said, oh, you must have been expecting me. And uh, he said, no, who are you? 
And he said, well, I'm a new associate pastor at the church down the street, and your daughter asked me to come and pray with you. And he said, oh, please, come in. But can you close the door? And so the pastor felt a little awkward, but he's like, okay. And closed the door, walked into the room, and walked over to the man's bedside. And the man said this. He goes, I've never understood how to pray. I've struggled with prayer. He said, I used to go to church, and whenever the pastor talked about prayer, it would be completely over my head. And I would try, but it just never made any sense. And prayer was so hard for me. Until a few years ago, one of my friends one day said to me, hey, Joe, let me just give you a method to pray. He said, why don't you take a chair, and you sit down in one chair, and put another empty chair in front of you, and just pretend Jesus is in that chair. He said, it's not spooky, because Jesus really kind of is in that chair. Jesus said, I'm going to be with you always. So Jesus is in that chair. And talk to Jesus as if it were just talking to a friend. It's as simple as that. And the old man said to the pastor, he said, you know, I tried it, and it, it's, it worked. It was really amazing. And so now I actually, I, I started doing this over a period of time, and I'll do it for an hour or two hours every day. But... But I got to be careful because I know if my daughter saw me, she would think I was nuts and that I lost my mind. So I never do it so, so, so that she knows that, that I'm doing it. And the pastor thought that was a pretty sweet story, pretty special story. He prayed for the man who was dying of cancer and anointed him with oil. And after he prayed for him, he left. A couple days later, the pastor called the daughter and said, hey, how's your dad doing? She said, dad died last night. And he said, oh, I'm so sorry. He said, did he, die in, did he die in peace? She said, yeah, I think he did. She said, it was kind of a weird thing because I went to the store, and before I went to the store, I went in to see him, and I kissed him on the forehead, and he told me one of his corny jokes like he always did, and then I left for the store, and when I came back from the store, I found him dead. But then there was this other really weird thing. Now, it was beyond weird, even just bizarre I guess somehow when, when daddy died, he had wiggled his way out of bed and laid his head on the chair, the empty chair that was next to the bed. And the pastor just smiled, glad to know that he went in peace. That's prayer. When you get to the place when you can just be so cognizant that Jesus is right there, that you could lay your head on an empty chair. It's a chance we get to do every single day as we do this thing called prayer, this mystical, weird, strange, beyond science kind of thing that we know because of research and everything else changes lives, changes health, moves things, moves the hand of God. That's the kind of Jesus we live with and can be present with every day. Father, thanks to be able to talk about prayer even to know that the words I'm saying right now aren't these rote words that just get us to a place where uh, we can end a service together and then say amen, but that you are actually present in this room, you're present there with each and every one of us, and that's an amazing, amazing thing. God, I pray that you would help us to understand that reality and that presence and to walk each day with that kind of expectation. May we just remember one thing out of today that helps you seem a little bit closer a little bit nearer to know that we don't walk alone. We walk in the powerful reality of the presence of God each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, 
13 years ago, um, I had a, a son going into kindergarten, and there's nothing more um, frightening than that for a first-time mom. Um, and I felt compelled uh, and called to start a prayer group for moms. Um, never, I was a newbie Christian, never having prayed out loud with another person, yet here I was going to a school. I didn't know a single person and inviting other moms to pray with me. So 13 years later, I have a prayer journal about this thick, that every Monday morning at 8 a.m., my doors open, and um, at any point, a table could be filled with moms that pray in different languages um, or just one other mom. And over these years, I've heard different types of prayers. I've heard prayers, again, like I said, in Spanish, that the heart just speaks. And I've heard prayers in English of desperation um, and just simple prayers of help them with this test today. But they come every morning. They come every Monday morning. And God's been faithful to bring a prayer partner. But I recall the most moving prayer is of a mom that came in, never having come in before. And it was a smaller group. She never prayed in front of other people before either. She stayed silent most of the time. We break into twos to pray uh, with each other for our kids. And this mom held the piece of paper that we have. There's just a little bit of scripture on there and, and a little bit of a format. And the words that came were just in words of tears. With no language, but of the heart. And I'll never forget that prayer sheet that didn't have any words written down but were tear-stained, that were crumpled with the tears that God knew what that prayer was, and all I had to do was hold her hand. But we all have prayers like that, that words um, just don't do it justice. But how grateful that we are that God is a God that is beyond language. He's a God of heart that we don't have to be eloquent in what we choose to say in front of people, but that if we share what really is inside, he already knows because he's there. So my encouragement to you is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what other people think of you or what you sound like, because he already knows what you need. He's just waiting for you to ask. Lord, I pray for um, each and every one here and every person that has a prayer in their heart that is difficult to find the English language for. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the courage to reach out to one another, to write it down, to ask someone to join them. There is nothing more comforting than knowing that physically we're not alone in these asks that we have. We love that empty chair that you're always there, Lord. We love that we know that you're there, but there is comfort in knowing that heaven is here on earth as well, in your people. May we be brave, may we be courageous, Lord. And we're ever grateful for your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.